really. Just going to have the first of what's going to be quite a lot of drinks of water, a bit of a sore throat this morning, this evening. <coughs> so like uh, Mark and Ailey said earlier, we're looking at Hebrews chapter 11 tonight. It's a continuation of the series entitled Jesus is Greater. And uh, tonight we'll be dealing with some of the fundamental questions about Christianity. Uh, namely, what is faith? And how do we show our faith, demonstrate our faith through actions? And what can we expect the results to be? The good news is that chapter 11 is a very practical chapter. Uh, and if you're anything like me, then I really enjoy it when things get practical and I can physically, tangibly see an application. Uh, certainly throughout school and, and university, uh, if we were dealing with a, a, a new topic, a, a new difficult subject, I could maybe only listen to the first five or ten minutes of the teacher talking about the theory. Anything beyond that, I would just kind of sit, bide my time, waiting for the two words, worked example, to come up on the board. That was, that was the time when the, the brain kind of came into gear. It, it wasn't just mindlessly writing down what the teacher was putting on the board, but actually thinking through the steps, working through the problem. As I'm sure you'd be grateful to be reminded of, uh, exams are coming up in the next few months. Bet you can't wait. But one of the, the most useful tools for an exam is a past paper, which is essentially uh, a very relevant worked example. Uh, a past paper, an exam script from a previous year from someone who's gone through that before you uh, had, to, had to answer those questions. And if a teacher can walk you through step by step a past paper, then you're going to be a much better place to, to do well in the exam. So in a sense, Hebrews 11 is a bit like a teacher walking you through a past paper. Except instead of it being an exam, it's a race. It maybe seems a bit backwards to, to start at the end of the passage, but the end of chapter 11 tells us that we're to, to run with perseverance the race marked out before us. And so... In the same way you, you study worked examples before you sit an exam because you're called to sit an exam, tonight we're going to be studying practical examples of faith in action because we are called to run a race. Heads up, it's a, it's a bit of a long passage tonight. It's a, the full chapter we're going to be looking at. Um, and I, I do think it's valuable at the start to read through the majority of it. So I'm going to do that. <coughs> But even if the only thing you take away from the first reading is the fact it's a really long passage, that's probably a good thing, because it, it demonstrates at least how many people there are in the Old Testament who put God's faith into action, and that should at least be encouraging. So I'll get my Bible if you have one. Please open it at uh, Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll start reading at verse 1. It's uh, a lot smaller than it was on my screen. Faith in action. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering. So I'm just trying to find my water. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. And by faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death 
he could not be found because God had taken him away. For because he was taken, he was commended as one. Before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of its righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in a promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. In faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each one of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of the staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses, parents hid him in three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be ill-treated among the, the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He, disre- he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as Uh, on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets. Likewise, I do not have time to go into this in as much detail as it deserves but thankfully living in the the world of online and YouTube 
you can return to summer 2016, wherein we did a, a series explicitly on this chapter, looking at heroes of the faith. Uh, and I'd encourage you, if you have some time this week, to do that, um, to, to get at least some more of the, the subtle learnings we can take from these examples out, because tonight we're just going to have a high-level perspective. We're going to just have a look at some of the areas of commonality between the, the various examples and ultimately how we can try and emulate what these heroes of the faith have, have shown in their actions. I propose we, we do that by asking five questions. First one, this is the theory, if you like, which will take hopefully no more than five minutes on, what is faith? Then we'll, we'll maybe ask the question, well, why did these people act on their faith? Then consider how they acted on their faith. Bring that to us. How can we act in our faith? And then finally round off by considering what's, what's the overall result? What does God achieve? So we'll start off very briefly with what is faith. And I say very briefly because uh, actually verse 1 has probably the clearest definition of faith that the, the Bible has to offer. It's the, the, the confidence in what is hoped for and the assurance of what we do not see. Now, we're going to sing, after I've finished talking, a song we sing very often in church. Our hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And surely, as Christians, that is the, the hope that we want to put our confidence in. The hope that Jesus, by his death on the cross and by his resurrection, has provided us with a means of salvation a means of forgiveness for our sins and a means for us to live with God for eternity in heaven. That is an incredible hope. And our hope is built on nothing less than that. And so faith, therefore, is having confidence in that hope. It says it's also the assurance of what we do not see. And certainly, certainly we don't see God. And we don't detect him with our traditional senses. But faith is the sincere conviction that we know God exists as revealed to us in his Bible and that he has this saving grace plan which is is what our hope is. Faith is fundamental to being a Christian. In Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 Paul says this, he says for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We receive grace through faith. And in fact, our interaction with God, our our prayer, our communication, is all through faith as well. And verse 3 of Hebrews 11 talks about recognizing that the world around us, that the animals, that the people that we meet, that they are all created by God. And that is something we have to have faith in as well. I wonder then, if we know what faith is, and we, we know that it's important to us as Christians, if we have a motivation for it, if, if we know how we can strengthen it. Because throughout the Gospels, it's clear that Jesus was often disappointed by his disciples when they lacked faith. Think, think about the situation where, where they were in the boat, and Jesus was asleep, and there was a storm around them. And the disciples were, were panicking and they, they, they woke Jesus up. And Jesus' response is, ye of little faith. 
And then he, then he calms the winds and he calms the, the waves. I mean, the disciples clearly had some faith to follow Jesus. But then in, in this moment of, of trial, in this storm of life, they were lacking that confidence in what they hoped for. The good news is that Hebrews generally is a book is written to Christians in a similar circumstance. Christians who, who maybe when they became Christians were confident in what they, what they believed, but perhaps their, their faith was waning a bit. Uh, and it's at this stage that we have Hebrews 11, we have all these examples, we have this tremendous encouragement that, by the way, back in the Old Testament, there were all these people who, who managed to enact their faith and keep going strong, so you can go for it too. Okay, so, so back to the question. So why did these people have faith? Well, I suppose we, we really need to look at, at, at what they, they were hoping for. What, what was their hope? What did they have confidence in? It says that they were looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. Verses 15 and 16 say, if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. They could have turned back at any point, these people that we've just read about and all these examples, but instead they were, they were looking forward to this heavenly country. In other words, they were looking forward to something that God had promised them. And I guess that's kind of the, the first part of the answer was that their eyes were fixed on God's promises. God had promised them a land of their own. He promised them protection and salvation, a place where they could be his people. And so if these heroes of the faith had such confidence, surely we should have even more because we're living in the the Anno Domini. We're living in the period after Christ has come, has died, has been resurrected. We can see in the New Testament that God's promise has been fulfilled in Christ. We can see that Jesus has died for our sins and that our salvation is assured in him. Surely we too then can have confidence in that hope. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, which Mark will look at in more detail next week, um, we're encouraged to fix our eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. If, If... these heroes of the faith fixed their eyes on God's promises, then our equivalent is, is fixing our eyes on Jesus because Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises. And if Jesus is the, the author and perfecter of the faith, like it says there, then surely if we want to develop our faith so that, so that people won't say, Jesus won't say of us, ye have little faith, if we want our faith to be stronger and, and be more confident in our hope, then the way to do that is to spend more time with the author and with the perfecter of our faith, to spend more time with Jesus. There's a a practical way that Paul suggests we do that, again in Ephesians. uh, We're going to keep coming back to this verse tonight. It's Ephesians 3, uh, 16. And it says, uh, and this is Paul praying for the, the church in Ephesus, I pray that out of his glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power through his spirit, in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul recognized that if we want to have that, that faith that, that achieved such great things back in the Old Testament, then we can't rely on our own strength. 
but Jesus did give us the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, to, to transform us, make us more like Christ, to, to, to make Christ dwell in our hearts. And so, if that was our prayer every morning and every night, literally, if that verse was our prayer for our lives, then perhaps we would find it easier to fix our eyes on Christ, fix our eyes on Jesus. In the same way that they fix their eyes on God's promises. So that's, that's kind of maybe the first part of the answer. They fix their eyes on God's promises. And we too should fix our eyes on God's promises fulfilled in Jesus. The second part, I don't know if you noticed this when we read it. We clearly, we read through quite a lot of verses and very quickly. Um, but interestingly, the writer of Hebrews says that faith is critical to pleasing God. He says in, in verse 6, uh, and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Personally, I find this incredible because I, I don't quite get how God can be pleased with people so afflicted by sin. I can understand how God can be pleased with Jesus, his, his perfect, sinless son. Uh, you know, that, that picture is supposed to show that, that, that time after Jesus was baptized and he said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. I can, can understand that. And I know that I read in the Bible that, that Jesus uh, is the demonstration of God's ultimate unconditional love. But still this idea that through our acting faithfully to him, we can please the holy, sovereign, most high God. It just makes me stop and think a little bit more about how I'm, how I'm living my life. And of course, this is not, this is not about earning brownie points with God. There's, there's no way that we, we earn our salvation. That's, that's not what this is about. Jesus alone is the only way that we, we can know salvation. But surely, if we, we know the love of God, that he would give his son for us, we should be looking to respond in a way that pleases him. And we should be looking to put our faith into action to do so. The examples that the writer in Hebrews refers to when he talks about pleasing God are Enoch and Abel. Uh, Enoch, we're told in Genesis, walked faithfully uh, with God and Abel brought um, a better offering than his brother. And those two actions, I guess, in some ways summarize the way I thought it would be worth looking at the passage uh, more generally when we move into the, the how these people acted out of their faith. Uh, walking in faith shows obedience, and offering is a form of sacrifice. And, and so I thought it would be worthwhile spending a little bit of time as we look at how they acted on their faith by splitting it into those two subcategories obedience and sacrifice so we'll start with obedience and it's, it's not too difficult to see uh, obedience in this passage um, it's, it's quite clear that the people in these examples were willing to obey God and his instructions the, the ones that come to mind first of all Noah his willingness to, to build an ark despite the fact that there was no sign of rain on the horizon. The, the willingness 
of the Israelites to follow Moses through the Red Sea, despite the fact that this was a terrifying and a dramatic miracle. The willingness of um, the Israelites under Joshua to, to follow God's instructions, to obey God's instructions and march around Jericho time and time again, despite the fact that this seems like an impenetrable fortress. You see, sometimes I think when I, I see the commands in the Bible that, that apply to us, I think they're sometimes too scary, too difficult, maybe sometimes too embarrassing to try. Because let's face it, it would be embarrassing to, to build a boat on dry land with no rain on the horizon, no forecast of rain. And it would be really embarrassing to march round and round a city wall while your enemies standing up there in their superior uh, bastions just looking down and jeering at you. It would be embarrassing if you were not guaranteed the success. You see, if we jump back a little bit to our definition of faith, faith is the assurance of what we do not see. Noah did not see the storm clouds on the horizon, but he had an assurance that God would bring the rain because God had said he would. And so he trusted God. The Israelites following Moses maybe couldn't see the other side of the Red Sea. But they had an assurance that because God promised to deliver them, that he would do so. And so they put their trust in God. And likewise, the Israelites under Joshua could not see the walls cracking and crumbling on that first day they marched around. But they had an assurance that this was the promised land which God said he would give to them. And so they put their trust in God. And ultimately, God's purposes worked out as God had planned. And so, as I say, that's, a, that's a, the real challenge to me is, is to make sure that to make sure that I have that level of assurance in God's promises. And, and as I said before, it keeps coming back to that why. Keeping my eyes fixed on Jesus. Knowing that when I first became a Christian and I, I knew and accepted Jesus as my saviour, that that impacts everything else that he's asked me to do. Because I know that and I have confidence and I have assurance in that. And that if I was praying every day, every morning, every night, that the spirit would be working in me to become more like Christ and to have Christ abiding in my heart more often that I would have that assurance even more strongly. Here are some of the things that I get challenged with when I read the Gospel of Matthew, for example. Things that I'm, I'm asked to do. Commands that, that God has given us, I guess, in the same way that he commanded these people in the Old Testament. To, to turn the other cheek, to, to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Not to, to worry about day-to-day issues, which I spend a lot of my time doing. To love my neighbor as myself and to go and make disciples of other nations. These commands, if we're to, to be obedient to God, require us to be assured and confident in what it is that God has promised. James chapter 2 also has a, a bit of a, 
a spin on what we consider faith and what we consider faith in action. James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a a brother or a sister is without clothes and and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now again, I don't want anyone to to misunderstand this, that we're expected to consistently and perfectly follow and obey and and get perfectly God's commands. The verse we had up on the screen categorically said that's false. We're not saved by works, we're saved only by Jesus. But surely the, the, the culmination of this passage, all these examples that are put forward... Surely the, the, the impetus of it, the, what it's driving at, is that we should be doing all we can to put our faith into action because that is a demonstration of our faith. We, we demonstrate our faith through our actions. And so we, we need to, to think seriously when we see these commands about how we can strive at least to try and obey them. So obedience was the, the first part. Sacrifice was the, the second. This is a willingness to, to give things up for God. And, and again, there's, there's clear and obvious examples throughout the passage. Think about Abraham. He, he gave up his, his homeland. He gave up his, his family. And uh, he left all that behind because God had asked him to, to move. And we think about um, Moses who gave up his royal inheritance for, for the sake of becoming associated with God's people and <clears throat> we're told in this passage was mistreated. And we think about Rahab who gave up her security by hiding Joshua's spies. Gave up home, gave up possessions and status, gave up security. In other words, they, they gave up their comfort. And throughout the Gospels, Jesus is consistent that the, the price of following him is high. We too need to, to recognize that we need to put Jesus before our possessions, our relationships, and our will, our, our desires. And something as Christians we, we do have to struggle with. But that's why verse 26 here gives me immense encouragement. Talking about Moses, he says, uh, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Clearly, Christ came so, so much after Moses, but this is, again, going back to the fact that Moses was looking at his people being freed, his people being saved, and, and the writer of Hebrews is, is making the point that ultimately the salvation of God's people came through, through Jesus. But the point that he's making here is that Moses valued what Christ did, that promise of salvation, as so much greater than all the wealth and the treasures that were in front of him as a prince of Egypt. So it's, it's going back to the title of the series, which is that Jesus is greater. And 
something that we should try and wrestle with and, 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 and come to terms with when we're being told so much in our daily life that, that there's so many other great things out there that we really need or we need to do. It's coming back to put it on the scales and say, well, actually, what do I value more? And for Moses, it was clear that he valued God's promises more. And so I find that really encouraging. And it's probably a good time to think about giving things up because it is Lent, after all. And the time when people give up sugar and coffee, soft drinks, uh, social media, maybe. Uh, I've got to admit, I haven't actually given up anything this year or for the last five years. Uh, seem to always forget. But here we are, and this, is, this talk's come around, so maybe this is my chance to change. Um, maybe in this season of Lent, uh, we should be thinking about what we can sacrifice, what we can give up, so that we will be more obedient to God. What is it that gets in the way of our obedience to God? Should we give up more of our time throughout this week to to spend devoted in meditation in God's word and prayer and helping out around the church and the house group? Should we give up more of our, our resources to support church work? Be that CAP or the, the food bank or mission locally, mission internationally? Or the one that, that kind of gets me, it's, it's, it's kind of back down to giving up comfort. Um, am, am I willing to give up silence and the, the ease of just living that sort of passive life so that I can actually obey God's command and spread the gospel confidently, boldly. And, and that, one, that one is sort of playing on my mind a little bit this weekend uh, because on Friday there, uh, I was asked by three different people, um, what are you up to this weekend? And my answer in a completely dishonest and nondescript way was, oh, nothing much, just a quiet one. It was actually, I've spent most of this weekend reading this passage, and I'm talking at church. And, and as I've been reading this, I've, I've just felt a lot of regret that I had three opportunities there to at least say, you know, church is, church is an important part of my life, and, I, and I'm talking about faith, you know, which is a, is a really interesting start of conversation for a colleague at work. I had three great opportunities, but I wasn't willing to sacrifice just the, the comfort of an easy answer to, to go down that route. And maybe I was a little bit tired. It was a Friday afternoon. But I guess what's important that I've picked up from this is that we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus all the time, even on a, a tired Friday afternoon. And so, having now identified that weakness... Um, I think it would be, be worthwhile. Certainly I've kind of set myself a bit of a challenge for this next week to, to put some of this into practice. And uh, with your permission, I think it would make sense to extend it out to the church as we, we look to do the fourth question, which is how do we practically act out our faith? Um, so that example I gave there was, um, was about just taking time to talk about my faith with those around me. So the, the last commandment in Matthew that we talked about earlier um, about go and spread the gospel to all nations. So if we were all to do that this week, if we have faith in the gospel, if we have confidence in our hope that Jesus' blood and righteousness is enough, then are we willing to give up 
some of our, our time, some of the, the comfort to be able to act and obey God in doing this. Okay, so if we were to do that, if we were to do that, if everyone said, yes, Paul, that sounds great, how would we, how would we achieve it? Well, I guess let's, let's go back to, to what we'd said about how these people in the Old Testament achieved it. First of all, we looked at their why, we looked at their motivation. One is because they kept their eyes fixed on God's promises. So surely the best thing we could do this week is to make sure that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus every day. I've now set a reminder on my phone every day at 2 o'clock. It's going to come up saying Hebrews 12.2 and Ephesians 3.16. That's the two verses we had up on the screen earlier about uh, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and about uh, praying that the Holy Spirit will come in our hearts and uh, and make and then help us to to welcome Jesus to abide there. So wherever I am at two o'clock, provided I have my phone on me, I'm going to get those reminders. And I'm certainly going to be trying every morning and every night this week to be praying that prayer with Ephesians 3.16. I'm going to try and make a little bit of an effort, at least, and try and strive to, to fix my eyes on Jesus more, to focus on him a little bit more this week. That's what I'm going to try and do, at least, as I'm hoping. Okay, so if we, we did that, then what, is, what are we putting our faith in? What promises has God made us that may help us here? Well, some of the ones that come to mind, well, we're not asked to go it alone. Jesus assures us that he's with us. God will give us the, the words to say when we have to defend our faith. And that ultimately, we don't have to change hearts. We know that that power is with God. And we are just vessels that are, are willingly offering ourselves up to obey what he wants to do with us. And finally, like I said, Ephesians 3.16 where we, we have confidence that the Holy Spirit will be, will be changing our, our hearts. These are, these are things we can put our faith in. These are promises we can find in the Bible and, and consistently read over the next few days. And, and hopefully, hopefully, my confidence, my assurance in these promises will grow. I wonder... I'm wondering just now anyway, if we all were to do that, what the results would be. If we were all to take one of the many opportunities I'm sure we get throughout a week just to talk a little bit more about our faith. Well, that was the, the final question, I suppose, that we ask. Um, if, if, we, if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and we, we, we find the opportunity presents itself, we, we prepare, we're prepared to share our faith, share the good news, what will the result be? And so at this point, I'd like to finish reading the, the chapter, because I did sort of stop before we reached the end. Um, picking up again from verse 32, because the last few verses, it explains the, the result, the outcome of what these people acting in faith was. So verse 32, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and rooted foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, 
refusing to be released so that they may gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned planned something better for us, so that only together with us they would be made perfect. Again, at the end, they're referring to, to Jesus. So, on balance, yes, great things were achieved. God's purposes were realized through God's power. And we see justice was administered, weakness turned to strength. But it wasn't an easy ride. Now, many of these people endured jeers and flogging, chains, imprisonment, destitution, persecution, mistreatment, death by saws, swords, stones. And then we realize as well that the promises weren't always realized within their lifetime. God's, God's plan is on a different timeline than ours. Personally, I think this makes it even more incredible that in spite of all of the, the, the persecution that they would face, they still place their value in Christ, or they place their value at least in God's promises. And so I, I take great encouragement from this because it reinforces the fact that yes, they, they found value in God's promises. They found so much more value in pleasing God. And ultimately they were willing to sacrifice their own comfort and ultimately their own lives in some cases in order for God's will to be done. And I guess that's what I pray that we'll be able to to come to terms with and perhaps be a bit more faithful to. So that ultimately we will, as it says in Hebrews 12, to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus as the author and the perfecter of faith. I think it's appropriate now that the band come up and we sing that our hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. We sing it with confidence, knowing that our assurance is firmly placed in Jesus'.